Now we're going to read from God's Word. I'm going to read tonight from Galatians, and to give us a little bit of context, I'm going to read Galatians 5, verses 13 through 26. Galatians 5, 13 through 26. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Do you sense in the world around you today that there are high levels of anger? Maybe you've seen restaurant customers treating the wait staff abusively. Or maybe you've been at a children's sports game and you see parents blowing up. And what happens if that's directed towards you? How does that affect you when when a stranger hates you? For instance, take, take road rage. You're driving, maybe while you're driving, maybe you make an honest mistake on the road, maybe someone is signaling to change into your lane, but you just don't see it, and then you find that they're cursing you, gesturing at you, tail, tailing you. And, and how does stranger rage affect you? Do, do you get scared inside? Do you have anger? that you also respond with. Do you just realize there's another human being just a few yards away from me. That person is furious with me. There's someone out there who hates me right now. Well, today we're going to look at the next part of the fruit of the Spirit. And this is peace. We're going to look at peace. And here's what we see. Peace with God brings peace with ourselves. Peace with God brings peace 
with ourselves. And when we're talking about this fruit of the Spirit, we start with ourselves. The Christian is someone who is experiencing ongoing, personal change. And part of that change includes peace. You, if you're a believer, you experience a peace inside of you that spreads peace outside of you. So we're going to look at three things. First of all, we're going to see how God settled a dispute. How God settled a dispute. Then secondly, we're going to see how his peace brings internal peace. How his peace brings internal peace. And then thirdly, how his peace spreads external peace. So how God settled a dispute, how his peace brings internal peace, and how his peace spreads external peace. So first, God settled a dispute. And so as we start, you need to see that God is not quarrelsome. God is not quarrelsome. God is the God of peace. And in some places, he's even called the God of all peace. We're familiar with places like Philippians 4. The God of peace be with you. Or 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Places like Hebrews 13. The God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. Over and over in the Bible, God is called the God of peace. Now, isn't that significant? It's significant because in plenty of religions, peace is not always tied to the God. Mars was the God of war. Shiva is the God of destruction. But the God of the Bible is the God of peace. And this is significant because God is the God of peace peace, and God is also the just God. He is the God of peace, and God will rise up and bring justice, even if it means delivering wrath and destruction against injustice. Now, I said, I said that God settled a dispute. What dispute? Well, there, there are two disputes. God settled them both. And all of us are living in the war zone of of these disputes. The first dispute, the first dispute is between God and the devil. John says, this has been going on from the beginning. John says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And then Romans 16. uh, um, uh, John has said that the devil has sinned from the beginning. What about this conflict? Romans 16, it says, the God of peace will Crush Satan under your feet shortly. So from the beginning, the devil has sinned, the devil is a murderer, but in settling this dispute that's been raging from the very beginning, it says God, who is the God of peace, he will crush Satan under your feet shortly. And so this is the setting of our lives. You and I, we live in a war zone, in a conflict Maybe you follow the news, maybe you read about the conflict in Ukraine, maybe you read about the conflict in Gaza, and maybe you're thinking, I am, I am so grateful that I am not geographically in either of those places. I'm glad I'm not living in a place where bullets are flying, where explosions are going off. But you do live in a war zone. The dispute between the devil and God, which has run for thousands of years now, the effects of it do spill over into your life, even if you don't see it. 
It's part of what's raging around us. Now, that's the first dispute. The second dispute is not between God and the devil, but the second dispute is between humanity and God. So there's another conflict, another dispute. Both, it's, it's happening, this, this dispute between humanity and God is happening at the collective level, all of humanity against God, but it's also happening at the individual level. At the individual level, humanity has rebelled against God. Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now here I'm going to make a claim. You can live in denial. You can live in denial about the dispute between God and the devil. Maybe you don't know if there's a devil, maybe you don't think there's a devil, and you don't know if there's this dispute. You can live in denial about that, but you can't live in denial about your own personal dispute with God. You can't live in denial about your own personal rejection of God. And this is the essence of our problem. All of us, all of us do what is right in our own eyes. We're self-pleasing, we're self-willed, we're self-centered. That, that's all of us. We, we, we start that way. We're not God-pleasing. We're not seeking the will of God. We're not centered on God naturally. And this is the source of every other conflict that we have, not just with God. It's the source of every conflict we have where children are despising parents or where spouses are unable to even speak a civil word to each other. This is the source for why strangers are raging on the road against other strangers. Now, you might say, well, okay, that, that's not me. That's not me. I, I am someone who is religiously observant. I observe the Sabbath. I keep the Lord's Day holy. I attend Sunday worship twice, morning and evening. I read the Bible, I tithe my money, I pray, and I fast. But Jesus said those people were also in conflict with him, in a dispute with God. Jesus condemned people who believed that their religious actions made them right with God. Religious religious observance cannot settle the dispute with God. Luke 16, 15, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now, to both of these disputes, the dispute between God and the devil, and the dispute between God and all of us, God made peace. God settled the dispute. In the dispute with the devil, God brought crushing power. In the dispute with sinners, with sinful people like us, God brought grace and peace. Romans 5 says, therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That means that God settled our dispute with him. Our our dispute through our Lord Jesus Christ, God settled it. We're justified not by our religious observances, not by our actions. We are justified by faith in Christ. Faith, not performance. Faith, not your personal successes. Faith, not your personal discipline, justifies you with God. And so that means, on the flip side of it, maybe you're not, maybe you're not successful in your performance. That means if you have botched your life, 
if you have done titanically stupid things that you now regret, whatever your colossal blunder is, whatever sins you have on your record, none of those, none of those disqualify you. You could be a murderer, but if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you can be justified and have faith and have peace with God. And that means also, if you have succeeded in life, if you are an upstanding member of the community, even an upstanding member of the religious, a religious community, if you're the most carefully, religiously scrupulous practitioner in the whole room, you tithe your income, you tithe your birthday gifts, you tithe your tithe, none of that, none of that achieves peace for you. Instead, you, you need to count all of that as trash because you also, if you're a believer, and if you get this, you also seek God's grace by faith, not by your relatively higher performance. You know that it's this grace in which you are standing. Now, how can you tell if that's where you are? How can you tell if you, you really get this, that you're standing by grace, that you've got peace with God through Christ, not through what you've accomplished, by how you relatively compare better? How can you tell? Well, this is a very practical question about, about peace. So that's why we're looking at it. Well, here's how you can tell. You can tell if you've entered into this peace through Christ. You can tell because you sense you sense God loves you. You sense that God loves you when you obey his commandments. And you sense that God loves you just as much when you spent the last week accomplishing nothing. Nothing for God. Maybe you've got a week that's just filled with blunders. You've got a week filled with sin. You've got a week where you just couldn't get your checklist done but you sense that God loves you just as much. That's how you can tell. God settled the dispute without a drop of your sweat. God settled the dispute without a drop of your blood. God settled your dispute with the blood of another and the sweat of another, of Christ. Colossians 1, God reconciled all things to himself by him, Jesus Christ, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. God settled the dispute through the blood of Christ, not through your sweat, not through your blood. And so here's another way you can check yourself and, and, and see if you really are, are living in this, if you, if, you, if you get this, if you're standing on this. Does it bother you? Does it bother you when people don't acknowledge your sweat, don't acknowledge your blood, sweat, and tears? Does it bother you? Does, does human recognition matter too much for you? Do you find that you're grating when you don't get appreciation for taking out the trash? Does, it, does something in you burn when you don't get appreciation for the key contributions that you made to the project at school, at work? And put it the other way, does it bother you too much? Does it bother you too much when you don't have any blood, sweat, or tears to show, when you failed all week, when you've got nothing to show for the hours that you spent studying, for your years of being a parent and going through parental pain, and look what's come out of that, nothing. Well, of course you should be dissatisfied. 
Of course, there should be some level of grief if you spent your week and you've got nothing to show for it, especially if, if you spent the week being lazy, if you spent the week being morally careless. Of, of course, you should be dissatisfied, but, but be careful. If you are standing on your performance, if you're standing on your own blood, sweat, and tears instead of grace, you will end up making too much of your failures, of your, your lack of results, your, your unproductivity. You'll be making too much of your sins. You're not standing on grace. When you stand on grace, when you are standing on grace, when you sin, and you will sin, it should pierce your heart. Your sin should provoke loathing and pain in your heart. But if you're holding on to grace, you just don't stay down at the bottom of the well. When you, when you sin, when you fail, you feel like you fall into the bottom of the well and you're looking up. But if you're standing on grace, you quickly look up. You cry to your father from the bottom of the well, Father, help me. I've fallen into the well. I sinned. I hate, I hate this. I hate where I am. Forgive me in grace. Pull me back up. So you're not silent in your sin. You cry to him. You repent quickly. And you stand again quickly by Christ. Grace, grace makes extraction from the well very easy. Being a Christian means that you're convinced that God has settled the dispute. God did it. God achieved the peace. Okay, well, here's the next thing. God settled the dispute. Here's the next thing. This should bring internal peace. This will bring internal peace. Because God settled the dispute, this brings peace within ourselves as people internally. Now, I'm using the word peace in the, in the sense that the Bible uses the word peace. In the Bible, peace, it, it, it is a resolution of conflict, an absence of fighting. But in the Bible, peace is bigger than that. And it, it includes the end of hostility and warfare, but in the Bible, peace is even bigger than that. It, it's, it, it encompasses even more. In, in Hebrew, peace is shalom. It's whole life wellness, whole life thriving. Peace in the Bible includes security. It includes harmony. It includes communal well-being. In Greek, peace is irene. It's the same as shalom, but it it emphasizes reconciliation with God. It it emphasizes the fullness of our salvation. So so all of that, peace in the Bible, it's, it's a whole person well-being and goodness for the individual as well as for the individual's relationships in the community. Now listen to this passage from scripture that describes this kind of peace, this this shalom peace from God. Now as I read it, I want you to to try to notice the the individual aspect of it, the internal well-being of this shalom peace, and also listen for the external, the broader community vibe of this shalom peace. So this is one example. There, there are, um, there's many places that you, you can see this in the Bible. This one's from Leviticus 26. He says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full. You shall dwell in your land safely. I will give shalom. I will give peace to the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword 
will not go through your land. Now, I want to I talk now about this internal peace. Everyone since Adam lacks this internal peace, the internal shalom. Now, sometimes we're not at peace. We don't have this shalom in ourselves. Sometimes we don't have this peace because of conscience. Human beings, unlike animals, have heightened consciences. The human conscience is the thing that, that normal people have. It's when you lie, what does conscience do? When you lie or when you trash someone or, or you speak cutting words about someone else, what is, if your conscience is working, what does it do? Afterwards, if you, if you have time to reflect on what you said, what you did, your conscience bothers you. If you're normal, conscience is that, that nagging voice inside you that says, that wasn't right, that wasn't right, you shouldn't have done that. Conscience bothers you when, when you treat your mother poorly. Conscience bothers you when you get away with something, but you know it was wrong. You cheated, nobody knows, and your conscience will not shut up. So sometimes we're not at peace because of conscience. But here's another reason that we sometimes lack peace inside. Sometimes we're not at peace, not because of conscience, sometimes we lack peace because of shame. In, in his book, Shame Interrupted, Christian counselor Ed Welch says, shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, because of something done to you, or because of something associated with you. It's this deep sense that you are unacceptable, unclean. And so if you're a person who deals with shame, did you DQ yourself? Or did someone impose the shame on you and, and tell you things like, you are the greatest disappointment? Maybe it was a parent who said that. Or someone significant in a time when you were vulnerable said, you're worthless, you're trash, you're garbage. Does your inner monologue now take that, that recording and play it back to you and tell you, that you're never enough. You're just not good enough. You're still not doing enough. You're not being enough. You're not enough. That you are polluted. And if people could look inside you and see what you were really like, they would drop you like a piece of moldy bread. That's the, that's the voice of shame. That's the experience of shame. Those are some of the sources of shame. Now, in this country, we are told, in this country, in this time, we're told that at least one in six men one in six men were sexually assaulted at some point, and for women, even more. And that, that kind of experience, that one possible vector of shame, that will make you feel contaminated. That will, that will robe you in shame. That will rob you of peace. Now this peace, it speaks both to a troubled conscience. This peace from God also speaks to shame. Listen to 1 John 3. For if our heart condemns us, if our heart, that, the, the inside, the inner person, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Now maybe you are a person who is just longing to have this internal shalom peace. Do you wish that you could be whole inside that you, could, that you could say, it is well with my soul. The Bible says that the peace from God, which passes all understanding, 
it's real peace. It's a safeness. It's a wholeness inside of you. And when you have peace with God, when you have peace with God, you can have peace with yourself. You, can, you receive this new identity that ends self-loathing. L- listen to the language of this new identity, the language of this, this full acceptance that we have through peace with God. Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, that's the language of shame. You were shameful. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who are afar off and to you who are near. To those who are excluded because of their shame, because of their enmity and disobedience, and to those who were near. Peace with God brings peace with ourselves, inside ourselves. Now there's so much more we could say about this, but we've got to move on. God settled the dispute. His peace brings inner peace. And finally we see this. His peace spreads external peace. His peace spreads peace outside of us. Because of peace with God, we start to spread peace with others, with other people. And this this is the angle of the fruit of the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have a Holy Spirit in you and you've got peace in your heart because of that and because you have peace with God and you've got peace about who you are in Christ, from that peace, you start to spread peace in your personal relationships. You're not an agent of of chaos and conflict. You sow peace. You spread peace. You become a peacemaker. Now, isn't that what what this world needs in a time when people flash to anger so quickly. Psalm 120, verse 6. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. But when your dispute with God is settled, you settle disputes with others. You come to people in peace. Think of these direct words about spreading peace. These are written to people who are Christians and who are at peace with God and have peace within their hearts now. Think of how we're told in Romans 14, 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Let us pursue the things which make for peace. And then places like Hebrews 12, 14. We're told... Pursue peace with all people. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So there's, there's that. There's also Romans 12, verse 18. If it is possible, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Pursue peace with all people as much as depends on you. Live at peace. Live peaceably with all people. Now, 
We live in a world that has fallen, and every domain where you eat, sleep, work, worship, every domain where you serve will need peace. It will need it. You just cannot get away from it. In your own home, in your own families, you expect that you're going to need to work for peace. And, and even in your areas of ministry and serving, even in the Christian community, you expect there will be conflict, but you don't run away from it, you don't avoid it, it's normal, but you don't stop there without recognition. You seek peace. You will do everything, as much as is possible, as much as depends on you, you will attempt to live peaceably with all people. And maybe the Lord will connect you to people who are lacking peace, who are lacking inner peace. Maybe he will bring into your lives people who need inner peace. They're not well. They lack wellness. They're filled with anxiety. They're filled with self-hatred. They need to have shame removed by Christ. But how can you do this? How? How can you bring peace? How can you be an agent for peace? How can you work for peace when you... The truth is, you're often at war with yourself. Well, over and over, over and over, we come again to the gospel. We are workers for peace. We work for it. And as much as is possible, as depends on us, we will work for it. We're just workers, though. Jesus is the prince of it. Jesus is the prince of peace. Jesus is our peace. What does that mean? How does that help us in this? Jesus Christ is the one who started in the ultimate place of peace. Jesus started in the ultimate place of shalom. He had all wellness, all security. He had peace with God. But in the gospel, Jesus lost his peace in order to bring us peace. Jesus gave up his shalom in order to carry your shame. Jesus took our shame on himself. Jesus became polluted, not because of any uncleanness in him, but he took on our sin, he took on our shame, and Jesus was struck by God, and he was afflicted. And on the cross, the Father turned on Jesus and ended the conflict between us and God. Isaiah tells us that he is despised, Jesus is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was He was shameful. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. And that is the only way that your shame and your sin can be removed. Shame shame tells you that you're worthless. Shame tells you that you're unworthy of love. But the cross tells you that Christ loved you. That's why he carried away your shame. He touched the untouchable. He embraced the unembraceable. He became unclean to make those who believe clean. Because of Jesus, you are at peace with God and you can be at peace with yourself and you can be at peace with others. And if that's true, and if all that's true, you have got nothing to lose. Because he is our peace. Jesus is your shalom. You've got nothing to lose, but everything to give. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we have turmoil on the outside, conflicts without, but we have our fears within and conflicts within us. 
We pray that you would come, Prince of Peace, that you would subdue us to yourself, that you would convince us that you have settled the dispute. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us an eagerness and a, and a self-sacrificial love that would make us willing to do whatever is in our power to live peaceably with one another as well. May your peace spread through our lives, through our community. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.